chapters twenty nine through thirty one of a woman's experiences in the great war by louise mack this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty nine tuesday it is tuesday now at seven o'clock in the morning old sad-eyed maria knocks at my door good news madame maline has been retaken that is cheering and old maria and myself like everyone else are eager to believe the best the grey day however is indescribably sombre from a high grassy terrace at the top of the hotel i look out across the city towards the points where the germans are attacking us great black clouds that yet are full of garish light float across the city and through the clouds one two three four aeroplanes can be seen black as birds and moving continually hither and thither while far below the old town lies with its towers and gilded gothic beauty and its dark red roofs and its wide river running to meet the sea i go down to the war office and see commandant chabot he looks pale and haggard his handsome grey eyes are full of infinite sadness to-day it would be wiser madame that you don't go out of the city he says in his gentle chivalrous voice c'est trop dangereux i want to ask him a thousand questions i ask him nothing i go away back to the hotel one o'clock and we learn that the fighting outside is terribly hot two o'clock cars come flying in they tell us that shells are falling about five miles out on vue du three o'clock a man rushes in and says that all is over the last train leaves antwerp to-night the government is going it is our last chance to escape how far is holland asked someone about half an hour away he answers i listen dreamily holland sounds very near i wonder what i am going to do am i going to stay and see the germans enter but maybe they will never enter the unexpected will happen we shall be saved at the eleventh hour it is impossible that antwerp can fall they will be shelling the town before twenty-four hours says one young man and he calls for another drink when he has had it he says he wishes he hadn't they will never shell the town says a choleric old englishman and he adds in the best english manner it could never be permitted outside the day dies down the sound of cannon has entirely ceased one can hear nothing now nothing at all but the loud and shrill cries of the newsboys and women selling le matin d'anvers and le metropole in the streets a strange hushed silence hangs over the besieged city and through the silence the clocks strike six and almost immediately the maitre d'hôtel comes along and informs us that we ought to come in to dinner soon as to-day the lights must go out at nightfall but i go into the streets instead it seems to me that the population of antwerp has suddenly turned into peasants peasants everywhere in crowds in groups in isolated numbers bareheaded women hollow-cheeked men little girls and boys and all with bundles some pathetically small done up in white or blue cloths and some huge and grotesque under which the peasants stagger along through the streets that were fashionable streets only just now and now have turned into a sort of sad travesty of the streets of some distant village a curious rosy hue falls over the faces in the streets the shop windows glow like rubies the gold on the gothic buildings burns like crimson fire overhead a magnificent sunset is spreading its banners out over the deserted city 
then night falls the red fades antwerp turns grey and sombre but the memory of that rose in the west remains and in hope we wait we are still waiting knowing not what the morrow may bring forth chapter thirty wednesday last night the moon was so bright that my two pets rescued from the ruins of lierre woke up and began to talk or was it the big guns that woke them the canary and the great congo parrot it might have been for sometimes the city seemed to shake all over and as i lay in bed i wondered who was firing germans belgians english which about three o'clock between dozing and listening to the cannon i heard a new sound a strange sound something so awful that i almost felt my hair creep with horror it was a man crying in the room under mine through the blackness of the hour before dawn a cry came stealing mon fils mon fils out of the night it came that sudden terrific revelation of what is going on everywhere beneath the outward calm of this nation of heroes and one had not realized it because one had seen so few tears one had almost failed to understand in the outer calm of the belgians what agony went on beneath and now in the midnight the veil is torn aside and i see a human heart in extremis writhing with agony groaning as the wounded never groan stricken bleeding prostrate overwhelmed with the enormity of its sorrow mon fils mon fils since i heard that old man weeping i want to creep to the feet of christ and the mother of christ and implore their healing for these poor innocent broken hearts trodden under the brutal feet of another race of human beings at four unable to sleep i rose and dressed and went downstairs in the dim unswept palm court i saw a bearded man with two umbrellas walking feverishly up and down while the sleepy night porter leaned against a pillar yawning watching for the cab that the chasse had gone to look for it came at last and the bearded gentleman with a sigh stepped in and drove away into the dusky dawn a look of unutterable sadness seeming to cloak his face and form as he disappeared il est triste c'est monsieur là commented our voluble little flemish porter he is a minister of the government and he must leave antwerp he must depart for ostend his boat leaves at five o'clock this morning so the government is really moving out i think to myself mechanically a little boy runs in from the chill dawn-lit streets it is only half-past four but a flemish paper has just come out at Lotste news the boy throws it on the table where i sit writing to my sister in england who is anxious for my safety i struggle to find out what message lies between those queer flemish words the tustand de antwerpa is sehr ernstig what does it mean sehr ernstig is it good is it bad i don't know the word i call to the night porter and he comes out and translates to me and as i glean the significance of the news i admire that peasant boy's calm la situation en envers est grave he says the burgomaster announces to the population that the bombardment of antwerp and its environs is imminent it is understood of course translating literally that neither the threat nor the actual bombardment will have any effect on the strength of our resistance which will continue to the very last extremity so we know the worst now antwerp is not to hand herself over to the germans she is going to fight to the death well we are glad of it 
we know it is the only thing she could have done and now the hotel wakes right up and dozens of sleepy worn hollow-cheeked officers and soldiers in dirty boots come down the red carpeted stairs clamouring for their cafe au lait the morning is very cold and they shiver sometimes but they are better after the coffee and i watch them all go off smoking cigarettes poor souls poor souls after the coffee smoking cigarettes they hurry away to the day is past sunrise now and floods of golden light stream over the city where already great crowds are moving backwards and forwards cabs drive up continually to the great railway station opposite with piles of luggage and i think dreamily how very like they are to london four-wheelers taking the family away to the seaside and still the city remains marvellously calm in spite of the ever-increasing movements people are going away in hundreds in thousands but they are going quietly calmly processions of black-robed nuns file along the avenues under the fading trees long lines of belgian cyclists flash by in an opposite direction in their gay yellow and green uniforms the blue and red of the french and english banners never look brighter as the wind plays with them and the sunlight sparkles on them while the great black and red and gold belgian flags lend that curious note of sombre dignity to the crowded streets but not a word of regret from any one that is the belgian way belgians all to-day i kneel at your feet oh god what those people are going through god what they are suffering and to suffer how can they bear it where do they get their heroism is it it must be from above chapter thirty one the city is shelled that day seated in wicker chairs in the palm court we held a council of war all the war correspondents who were left the question was whether the hotel terminus was not in too dangerous a position its extreme nearness to the great railway station made its shelling almost inevitable when the bombardment of the city began in earnest we argued a lot one suggested one hotel one another to be directly northward was clearly desirable as the shells would come from southward mr cherry curtain mr cleary and mr marshall decided on the queen's hotel somewhere near the quay their point was that it would be easier to get away from there mr robinson and mr phillips refused to change from the terminus mr fox mr lucian arthur jones and myself chose the wagner as being in the most northerly direction the farthest away from the forts and the nearest to the breda gate which led to holland in the moonlight after dinner taking my canary with me i moved to my new quarters accompanied to the doors by that little band of englishmen cherry curtain carrying my parrot it was then ten o'clock strange things were to happen before we met again precisely at eleven the first shell fell whiz it fled in a fury across the sky and burst somewhere in the direction of the cathedral as it exploded i shut my eyes clenched my hands and sank on the floor by my bedside saying to myself god i'm dead and i thought i was too the enormity of that sound sensation seemed to belong to a transition from this world to the next it scarcely seemed possible to pass through that noise and come out alive that was the first shell and others followed quickly the hotel was alive immediately sleep was impossible i crept down into the vestibule 
it was all dark save for one little light at the porter's door i got a chair drew it close to the light and sat down i had a notebook and pencil and to calm and control myself and not let my brain run riot i made notes of exactly what people said i sat there all night long every now and then the doors would burst open and men and women would rush in once it was two slim elegant ladies in black with white fox stoles who had run from their house because a shell had set fire to the house next door they came into the pitch-black vestibule moving about by the little point of light made by their tiny electric torch they asked for a room there was none so they asked to sit in the dark empty restaurant and as i saw them disappear into that black room where many refugees were already gathered sleeping on chairs and floors and tables i could not help being amazed at the strangeness of it all the unlikeness of it all to life these two gently nurtured sisters with their gentle manners their white furs their electric light gliding noiselessly along the burning beshelled streets and asking for a room in the first hotel they came to without a word about terror and with expressions on their faces that utterly belied the looks of fright and terror that the stage has almost convinced us are the real thing swing goes the door and in comes a man who asks the porter a question is monsieur l here oui monsieur replies the porter where is he he is in bed go to him and tell him that a shell has just fallen on the bank of Anvers. tell him to rise and come out at once he is a bank official and he must come and help to save the papers before the bank is burned down tell him monsieur m the manager came for him swing and the bank manager has gone through the door again out into that black and red shrieking night swing again and three people hurry in three belgians father mother and a little fair-haired girlie whom they hold by each hand while the father cradles a big box of hard cash under one arm the shells are falling all around our home they say the porter points to the restaurant door merci bien and je vous remercie beaucoup murmur father and mother they vanish into the dark unlit restaurant with its white tablecloths making pale points athwart the stygian blackness of the huge room then an englishman comes down the stairs behind me flapping his burberry rainproof overcoat he is a war correspondent what a smell he says to the porter is gas escaping somewhere no sir says the porter pulling his black moustache he is very distrait and hardly gives the famous war correspondent a thought it is gas persists the war correspondent there must be a leakage somewhere he opens the door a horrible whiff of burning petroleum and smoke blows in and a belgian soldier enters also what's the smell asks the war correspondent the germans are dropping explosives on the city trying to set fire to it answers the belgian good lord i must have a look says the war correspondent he goes out two wounded officers come down the stairs behind me bill please porter how much we must be off now to the forts don't know the bill says the porter i'm new the other man ran away he didn't like shells you can pay some other time messieurs bien says the officers they swing their dark cloaks across their shoulders and pass out they come back no more no never any more then an old old man limps in on the arm of a young ever young sister of mercy he is deaf and dumb she says i found him and brought him here he will be killed in the streets her smile makes sunshine all over the blackness of that haunted hall the mercy of it the sweetness of it 
the holiness are something one can never forget as guiding the old man she leads him into the dark restaurant and tends him through the night then again the door swings open the petroleum tanks have been set on fire by the belgians themselves says a big man with a big moustache this is the end he is the proprietor himself and here up from the stairs behind us that lead down into the cellars comes his wife wrapped in furs henri i heard your voice i am going i cannot stand it i shall flee to holland with little marie put me into the motor-car my legs will not carry me i fear for the child so much a kiss and she and little marie flee away through the madness of the night towards the breda gate and the safety of some dutch village across the border every now and then i would open the swing doors and fly like mad on tiptoe to the corner of the avenue of commerce and there casting one swift glance right and left i would take in the awful panorama of scarlet flames they were leaping now over the marche aux souliers the street which corresponds with our strand while i watched i heard the shrieking rush of one shell after another any one of which might of course well have fallen where i stood but i knew they wouldn't i felt as safe and secure there in that shell-swept corner as if i had been a child again at home in silent sleepy far-away australia the fact is when you are in the midst of danger with shells bursting round you and the city on fire and the germans closing in on you and your friends and home many hundreds of miles away your brain works in an entirely different way from when you are living safely in your peaceful midlands quite unconsciously one's ego asserts itself in danger until it seems that one carries within one a world so important so limitless and immortal that it appears invincible before hurt or death this is an illusion of course but what a beautiful and merciful one when danger comes your way this illusion will begin to weave a sort of fairy haze around you making you feel that those shrieking shells can never fall on you seldom indeed while i was at the front did i hear anyone say i'm afraid how deeply and compassionately considerate nature is to us all she has supplied us with a store of emotional glands and fitted us up with many a varying sensation of which curiosity is the liveliest and strongest then when it comes to a race between fear and curiosity in ninety-nine cases out of a hundred curiosity wins hands down in real danger our curiosity and our unconscious but deep-seated belief in the ego carry us right over the frightful terrors that we imagine we should feel were we thinking the thing out quietly in a safe land then we tremble and shiver then we remember the word scream then we understand the meaning of fear then we run in our thoughts into caves and cellars but when the real thing comes we put our heads out of the windows we run out into the streets we go towards danger and not away from it driven thither by the mighty emotion of curiosity which when all is said and done is one of the most delightful because the most electrifying of all human sensations is this brutal is it hard-hearted is it callous indifferent cruel no for it bears no relation to our feelings for other people it only relates to our own sensations about ourselves when a group of wounded belgians comes limping along you look into their hollow blackened faces you feel your heart break and all your soul seems to dissolve in one mighty longing to die for these people who have sacrificed their all for you and you run to them 
you help them all you can you experience a passionate desire to give them everything you have you turn out your pockets for them you search for something anything that will help them no you are not callous because you are curious quite the reverse in fact you are curious because you are alive because you dwell in this one earth and because you are created with the sense that you have a right to see and hear all the strange and wonderful things all the terrors as well as all the glories that go to make up human existence not to care not to want to see not to want to know that is the callousness beyond redemption End of chapter thirty one recording by expatriate in bangor maine